Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning in, I just want to welcome you to the podcast and really welcome you to the Kelly family because we exist to help you and your leadership and your business grow. I also want to take a moment to welcome every single one of you who are joining us for this very special edition of the ROI podcast live. So for all of our audience, we're so honored that you're here and that you have found our content worthy of your time. So before we jump into uh, the conversation that you are going to guide, uh, we want to take a minute just to let you know how this webinar is going to work. So if you go to your Zoom menu and you look at the bottom where you have all those icons of screen share and and raising your hand, um, there's a spot where it says Q&A, and that's how we're going to have you facilitate the conversation for us. If you just at any time, if you've come prepared, Go ahead and start typing those questions now, and then I will be the one moderating uh, our the questions to uh, our guests. And if you're having trouble uh, finding that, you can always reach us at ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. So before we jump into the topic, I would love to welcome our guests. You know them. You love them. They are making a name for themselves here on the podcast. Give it up for the co-directors of the Kelly MBA Leadership Academy, Ray Luther and Eric Johnson. Gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast and thank you for being a part of this milestone for our show. Well, we're honored to be here, Matt. Thanks again for having us. This is uh, really exciting. Always great to join you, Matt. So for those who are joining us and, and for those who are listening to this, even after this recording, uh, you know, we spent an entire month, the month of March, talking about coaching. We did a four-part series each week going into specific elements of coaching. And if you're listening to this after the recording, I would recommend pausing right here, going back and listening to those four, because a lot of the questions and the conversation is going to kind of garner or gauge around around the the topic of that we talked about. But if you're here live, don't go anywhere. Uh, we're going to do a quick recap to just give what um, what we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. So Ray and Eric, I'd love to for you guys to kind of dive into the four parts, obviously starting with, with the very first one, the coach. Yeah, go ahead, sure, Matt. I'll, I'll get us started. The um, So the coach is, uh, there's four components, the coach, the coachee, the coaching process, and the coaching relationship. And the coach is kind of the foundation because that's what we're talking about today, how to become a better coach and and work with the coach. And the coach is, you know, from a coaching perspective, it's all about, am I ready to coach and am I equipped to coach, right? Is this something where I want to have a leadership style which employs more of a coaching mentality and employs some coaching techniques to develop my people in a better and healthier way, in our opinion? And so we're a big believer as coaching is a part of a leadership toolkit, uh, especially for organizational leaders. If you want to become a professional coach, that's a different conversation. But coaching can and should really be part of everyone's toolkit, although it requires a good mindset and a willingness to actually learn how that looks different than what you might be doing today. And that's that's typically where we see some of the development needs that have to happen with the, the leaders that we work with. Yeah. And I mean, you know, obviously you can't coach air. Um, at least it doesn't listen very well. So the second main component is the, the coachee. Sometimes we refer to that person as the client. And one of the things that, you know, Ray and I bring up a lot in leadership development is you can't coach somebody who doesn't want to be coached. So that uh, episode in particular, but, but also a lot of what we talk about is like, how, 
how do you allow yourself to be coached? What does it look like to be a good client? Um, you know, it's, it's equal parts courage and vulnerability um, and the ability to, to listen and having a willingness to grow. It's a, it requires a good mix of confidence with humility and, um, you know, and a willingness to, uh, to go out and try new things and be held accountable. So it's, um, it's, it's really, it's a lot of fun. I mean, as you mentioned, Ray and I get to, to work through Kelly as part of what we call the Leadership Academy. And we work with some, you know, of our top students. Uh, they're, out, they're selected by the administration to join us. And it, it's really fun to watch them when they engage with a coach, when they allow themselves to be coached, just see the growth and the increased impact over time. So that's uh, that second main component there. Yeah, the third main component of the, the coaching process is simply what is what is the process by which we are employing coaching, right? There, there is there is a, a coach and a coachee, but now what is the coach using to actually guide that conversation? Um, there are various scaffolding and models that are out there from Grow to Oscar, and you know those are always great to talk about. But it, really, it's about is there a systemic and structured process by which the coach will help that person maybe see some insights differently from themselves? One of the things about the process is this is never about the coach having the answers, but it's really the coach guiding and facilitating a healthy conversation for that person to engage in. Yeah, and then last but not least is the relationship, which is no doubt bigger than the sum of its parts. Um, Though, you know, a really strong coach and coachy relationship is built on a foundation of trust, mutual trust. Uh, it's built on what's called, you know, confidentiality. Um, during that episode, we talked a lot about the process of designing an alliance and what it looks like to grow and maintain trust over time. Uh, trust has several components. We, you know, we, we reinforce the importance of credibility, reliability, intimacy, uh, the role that self-orientation plays. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's clear that the, the stronger the relationship, the more both parties get out of it. So, yeah. And so we're going to get ready to dive into the questions and answer portion because we want you to get the most value out of your time from this. And we have some questions already coming in, but I just want to let everyone know uh, if you do have a question, don't hesitate to ask. One thing we will do is we will keep your name anonymous. That way, you know, for whatever reasons, like if you're in leadership and you're dealing with sensitive issues, we get it. Like organizations and leadership have confidentiality, uh, things that need to be taken care of. You know, you're dealing with people, individuals, and we you don't want to the situation. So we will keep it anonymous for, for purposes like that. And two, just really let your walls down. So that way, because if you're wrestling with a question, I guarantee you someone else that's sitting in this room or someone that's listening to this podcast has the exact same question. So don't hesitate. Your questions will rename, remain anonymous. All right. So uh, we'll kick this off with our very first question. Uh, this one is, when I heard your series on coaching, a lot of the strategies you offered sounds a lot like mentoring, yet you say they're different. What is the difference between coaching and mentoring? Ray, Go ahead, you want to start that one? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, start it, start it. All right, that sounds good. We love this question, actually. We get it a lot and, and are absolutely not surprised. Um, and I want to, I actually want to stress, because I, I, I want to be clear, there is absolutely a role for both. I think it is important that uh, to you as a, as a human to have people in your lives that can be great mentors and to have people in your lives who can be great coaches. Um, the way I like to think about mentoring, mentoring is where a voice of experience passes down that experience to someone 
who may be a little bit younger, maybe a little bit newer to a job or newer to a culture. Um, and the, the purpose of that is to help someone understand organizational norms and to grow through increased competency. Uh, it's a little bit different than training, of course, which is also about increasing competency because that tends to be very formal and structured, whereas mentorship tends to be kind of on the spot. Uh, hey, you know, let me share a little bit of wisdom with regards to this particular situation. Uh, in brief, um, I, I mentioned uh, Matt, you and, and Ray, I'm in Charlotte at the Charlotte Motor Speedway right now with my son, who's a uh, go-kart racing and he's getting mentoring literally right now. Some of the more experienced drivers are pulling him aside and talking to him a little bit about how he's taking corners, about where he's breaking too much, where he's not breaking enough. It's a great example of mentoring. Coaching is different because coaching, as we've highlighted, has a bit of a structured process, and it's really predicated on the coach not having the answers um, or maybe withholding their own opinion or their own thoughts on what the answers might be as a way to try to draw some of the solutions out of the individual that's closest to the problem. Um, it has a process, it has a structure, and it's really built around, you know, the coachy empowerment. Um, and Ray, I'll let you sort of pick up there because I'm sure you have a lot more you want to say on that. Yeah, I, I mean, just building off of what you said, I would say the, the, the coach, you know, the biggest struggle in training people how to coach is learning the necessity of withholding advice, uh, right? Because advice actually is is getting in the way of the progress that person might find for themselves, at least as we talk about developmental coaching and, and specifically with leadership development versus mentorship advice is, is welcomed and can be encouraged in terms of a way to learn the ropes of an organization or industry, or as Eric said, a sport and in, in, in playing off of that experience. So um, they, there is a Venn diagram of overlap, right? There, there are, the coaching was built on some foundations of good mentoring and there's some there's some history and connection there, but it helps to see them as distinct. Um, the other one place that exists in a lot of organizations is mentors tend to roll into almost champion type roles within organizations. And, and while coaches can play that role, um, they they tend to be a little bit more disconnected from that champion type experience and more about trying to help that person push themselves, which may include some of those uncomfortable truths and uncomfortable explorations around what's holding them back that they, they may not want to face right away. Next question is coming from email. Uh, she says, as someone just starting to view leadership as a coaching role, it seems to be taking a lot of my time. Uh, what advice do you have that I, I can use of just telling of not just telling people what to do, but rather showing them what to do. Yeah. Um, I'll get it started. And I know Eric's got an opinion on this one. The, the, the time question is, is it's relevant, right? Like we, we have a lot of time and, and Eric and I often talk about a model called CATSO coaching, advising, teaching, storytelling, and other, and, and leaders need to determine, you know, can I consciously have one of those types of conversations? The default thinking of most leaders is, oh, I'm coaching all the time. And really what they're doing is advising, maybe storytelling, right? This is what I would do, or this is what I did way back 10 years ago when things were a lot tougher or whatever embellishment they happen to add. But it's rooted in advice. It's rooted in what the person did or what they think they should do as a leader. Um, the challenge with that is they, the leaders think it's faster. Oh, I gave them the answer, right? I gave them the answer so they can get out of my room. And the challenge we would push back on is, well, did you follow up and actually see what happened from a developmental perspective? How did that advice work out for them? Because there, there's, there's some fundamental things that start to happen with that faster conversation. If Eric comes to me 
and asked me a question if I were his manager and I were to come back with advice, well, suddenly Eric has a solution that his boss said, yeah, this is the way to go. So why would he take a risk and do something different? So coaching can be um, more time up front in terms of questioning and really helping that person figure out their own solution. And yet at the same time, what you're doing is training on a developmental pathway that allows that person to start to develop their own solutions. So you're kind of investing in the future that with time, their amount of direct questions may actually decrease as they learn that you're simply going to ask them questions about their own pathway and they need to try to figure some of that out. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And, you know, simply put, if you train people to come to you and ask for answers and you give them to them, you are dealing with a life filled with interruptions. And I will tell you um, that, that that interaction may not take an enormous amount of time, uh, but the lost momentum has impact. And, um, and that's, a, that's a real thing. So, you know, coaching, and again, you know, in the, in the episode where we talk about the process, it can seem like, wow, this could really take a lot of time. But Ray and I are also champions of what we call micro coaching. And so a good example of that is, is you know, if somebody from my office comes in and says, hey, Eric, can I get your opinion on something? And they'll ask me a question. Yeah, I might know the answer, but oftentimes I'll respond by saying, well, what would you do if I wasn't here? And they'll say, well, I would probably do this and this, but great, go for it. You know, and that's coaching. I mean, I didn't, I, I asked an open-ended, powerful question. They gave me an answer. They went away. And the next time they've got a question, they may say, well, shit, he's just going to ask me, you know, what would I do if Eric wasn't here? So why don't I try that? And then I'll come back later. Now, I still need to follow up and say, well, what, what did you do? How did it go? You know, let's talk a little bit about what we learned from that. But that's just good leadership, too, I think. So so never underestimate the impact of one or two really well-placed open-ended questions. And, um, you know, that may also solve for some of the time issues people may experience. Matt, just just building on Eric's uh, comment there, because because we've gotten this pushback. Well, what if they offer a really bad idea? Like, what if they, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you're a leader, you're a steward of a lot for any organization. You have to take care of the resources, the people, the reputation, the money. If they offer a horrible idea, you know, well and good, you could say, well, let's think about that for a minute. Right. What, what are what are some of the what are some of the consequences if we were choosing that? Right. You can you can still go on with the conversation. You don't have to go go for it. But they may also surprise you. Like, what if they come up with an idea that's an eight or a nine or a 10? And I know Eric's asked that question for a long time, you know, and, and I'm sure he's heard some great answers. And, and so the, there is a, a sense of, of control that it's not this binary, oh, it's going to be great or it's going to be horrible. And I've got to go with yes every time they suggest it. No, it's, it's a bit of an art form that you have to learn your way through. But you're starting with that open ended, you know, what are the solutions they've thought of, et cetera. Yeah, I have a, <laughs> one of those moments. This is, I mean, it's been eight or nine months ago, right? So what would you do if I wasn't here? And I got one of those answers. I'm like, this is not a good idea. I'm like, what if I was here and I told you to do something <laughs> different? What would I say? <laughs> and, well, we had a good laugh about that. Before we jump into the next question, I do want to remind everyone, if you do have a question, if anything sparked during this conversation, please, please, please uh, send it through the Q&A feature here uh, on Zoom. Again, your answer or your questions, rather, will be will remain anonymous uh, just to protect you. But also, I guarantee you, you're not the only one who is wrestling with that question. So please ask. So our next question also comes from email. Uh, this person says, I don't get a lot of feedback from people that I'm working with, which can be both good and bad. But how do I know if I'm doing this coaching thing right? 
Um, yeah, I'll start on that one. I think that's a, that's a really good question. Um, there are a couple of things that you can try. I think um, obviously not knowing the situation of the person who asked, uh, I'll start with saying if you're sort of just expecting people to give you feedback and they're not, then one of the things you might want to do is actually ask for it. Um, and you can ask for it in the moment or you could ask for it at some sort of you know, interval over time, like quarterly or whatever. Uh, Ray and I advocate a model that we call the five C's and they are the process by which you would work through a particular coaching conversation. And the, the last C is what we call the checkout. And part of that process is to say, you know, was this helpful for you? Uh, what did you like about this conversation? What would you like to do differently next time? So as you're coaching someone, I think it's perfectly acceptable to ask them how the conversation went and what they might want to, you know, change about the experience going forward. I also think it's good, you know, once a quarter, once every six months um, to really make it clear, like, I'd love to get some feedback from all of you about how I'm doing. Um, the, or different organizations have different ways to collect that. I sort of operate under the assumption that this person uh, probably works in an organization that maybe doesn't have a formalized 360 or something like that. And one of the models I've always liked is what I call the start, stop, continue. And I'll ask my team, you know, from a coaching perspective, what am I doing that you want me to continue? From a coaching perspective, what would you like to see me start doing a little better? And from a coaching perspective, what might I need to stop to improve my impact? And I get really good answers because there's that, that model, um, seems to disarm a lot of people. There, there's no harm you can really do in that. So those are a couple of ways I like to ask for it, um, both in the moment and over time. Ray, I don't know if you'd add to that in some way. I would just build upon it. I would say, you know, we, we are not, um, we are not, uh, I would say, fools to some of the organizational hierarchy that exists, right, which are very real. Uh, one of my favorite bloggers and coaches, a guy by the name of Ed Batista wrote a great piece called Deference Skills Coaching. And so that question might be related to uh, if I'm a leader of others and I'm coaching them and I want to get feedback, well, there's a leader follower dynamic there as well, which is a power difference in most companies. And so for that perspective, you have to keep in mind that power structure that exists. And, and you might not treat it as a power structure or act like it's a hierarchy, but that person has it in mind and that probably has some person probably has some sort of deference to the role that exists within the organization. And will that impact coaching? Absolutely. What does it mean? It means I need to practice this very consciously and overtly and allow that person um, a psychologically safe space where they can come back with thoughts that they're, they're not necessarily afraid of me judging them as a leader, but rather I'm acting as a coach to try to help them develop their best. And that's why we talked about those five different hats earlier. What type of conversation am I having? If I'm really engaged in a coaching conversation, try to stay in a coaching conversation and allow that person to experience you as a leader in that context. There are moments in time, again, that you'll have to be an advisor because you get paid to manage the resources associated with the organization, or you have to tell somebody what to do. And in that case, you can be very clear about that and say, here's the intention of this conversation, right? This, this is not a conversation where we have a lot of degrees of freedom. We have to operate this way and say that. But I think the clearer you can be as a leader, the more you're able to do it. And then I think it's fair to ask for feedback in that context. Hey, you know what, Matt, I've been trying to work on my coaching skills. You know, I, I've, I've been working with the, you with this and I've been very clear on when I think we're going into it. Can you give me some feedback on, you know, what are you gathering out of that? How is that working for you? Is there anything that, that might be more helpful for you, you know, and try to recognize some of that differential that exists in any organization structure. 
Our next question comes from the chat. Uh, some of the most well-known coaches in the world come from sports, like former NBA basketball coach Phil Jackson. As someone wanting to become a better coach in a company or corporation, to what extent is it valid to look at sport coaching for inspiration? Oh, man, I love this question. And I actually love the, the, this uh, uh, attendee used Phil Jackson as their example. Um, the, the world of sports is actually really built on three groups of leaders um, from a coaching perspective. There are what, what Ray and I would consider truly developmental coaches. There are what we would call game plan coaches. And then there are coaches that don't keep their job. <laughs> so, you know, pretty much if somebody's been fired four or five times, we can avoid them for inspiration. Um, and Lord knows there are plenty of them rotating around. Um, but the way we differentiate developmental coaching from game plan coaching um, Game plan coaching is very much about like calling the plays, giving advice, telling people what to do, thinking about how to strategically deploy resources. Um, how do I match my different players, in this case, the world of sports, their strengths and weaknesses such that I create a team that, that you know, performs well together. Um, and that's that can be valuable from a leadership perspective, but it's really it's really not coaching. And I think a, a relatively good example of that would be Mike D'Antoni is somebody that we've talked about. He's a he's bas since we're with the sport of basketball. Um, you see him very active on the sideline of games, calling out three, three, five, five. But he's telling his players throughout the game what to do. That's a form of leadership. But that's very much advice. I've built the play. I've built the plan. I expect you to execute it. And I'm telling you what to do. Phil Jackson is actually interesting. He's very well known for what's called the triangle offense, which actually doesn't have set plays. He actually taught his team how to flow throughout a game and how to react to different forms of defenses and how to think and develop in the moment. And his coaching was not about like, you know, in this particular situation, you need to be, you know, posting up. It was very much about, you know, how, why did you make the decision that you made? What were our other options? What, we, what did you learn from that? And the next time you're in that situation, how are you going to do something differently? And what was interesting, you know, he was often called the Zen master because during games, he would sit on the bench and just kind of watch what was happening because he wasn't calling plays. He, he trusted his team. He taught them. He coached. Here's how to react. Here's And they scenario plan. And then they ran the offense. That was so hard to defend for a reason. So if you're looking to a sports book that I think resembles mostly a coaching manual, uh, Phil Jackson's 10 rings is one of the better ones. I think Belichick tends to be more of a coach than uh, somebody who strategically deploys resources. Um, so if you're looking for an example in another sport dynamic, that would be one. Uh, but that's kind of how I think, I think you really have to watch how actively the coach is on the sideline telling their people what to do. Um, and that's, that's a different form of leadership, right? And if you, yeah, if you, if you think about it as the, the, so all the athletic coaches have value, right? So a quarterback coach that's coaching, you know, a Peyton Manning or, or somebody who has a specific set of skills and wants to record the video and really point out the flaws, et cetera. That's just skill development. Is there a role for that in most organizations? Sure. It's skill development, but you have, if you think about where does the agenda lie, the agenda lies with the coach, there's a right and wrong way to do it. And I'm, I'm helping that person develop their skills to get more right. Even with game plan coaching, the agenda lies with the coach. This is, this is kind of what we need to do. So I want you to go execute what we need to do. 
when we're talking about this developmental coaching, the coach really has to be willing to let that that details of the agenda go so that the the coachee, in this case, the players can really start to develop their own. And I think basketball lends itself to that. Phil Jackson took advantage of that. I think another great sport to watch is soccer. If you want to see some of this in action, because they, the coaches just don't have the ability to insert themselves in the flow of play at versus like, you know, what they needed to work before. And then the players have to kind of create that agenda based on the opportunities that present themselves. And so it might be a little bit sport dependent, but I would say that agenda question is a great one. Um, style of coaching. I really wouldn't, you know, if you're a hardcore coach or a, a soft coach or something, those things, I, I think there are some, some player or some coaches in my opinion, like Steve Kerr, who is way more, you know, player first and how he approaches things versus some other coaches, it's more about their ego. So outside of the agenda, I would say whose ego is really at risk. There are coaches that are much more willing to put their players first. And I would say that's the demeanor that most good executive coaches would take as well. You know, this question flows beautifully. Someone is asking, you know, hi, I come from an organization where my people really don't know what to do. Are you guys saying I should coach them all the time? No. <laughs> No, we're not. What we're saying is um, coaching should be part of your repertoire. And so if your people really are untrained or they don't know what to do or there's a there's a skill gap in how they perform, then then you need to start with what we would call skill training, right? Skill coaching. And you need to you need to work on those things that gets them to a standard where they know how to perform their job. And even beyond the skill training, you might need to get them to work as part of a team or a system, which is game plan, what we call game plan coaching, right? Hey, I not only know how to do my individual job now, I know how my job fits in the broader scheme of the team, and I know how to do my job. Back to our last question, Bill Belichick was famous for that. Do your job. And everybody had a job. And once Bill could trust that all the individuals would perform that job, you know, that they could go that way. What we're what we're talking about is beyond those two things, once those are established, you have people in organizations who are dealing with challenges and problems and opportunities and may see certain things and really have the opportunity to fix systems or create new markets or develop different things that are going to be based upon the energy and the leadership they show associated with it. And that's really where developmental coaching can come in and change the game in terms of both allowing people to emerge as leaders, right? Have that voice and show up in a way that that demonstrates they have that capacity to influence others, but then also it, it, like empower them and not only empower them, maybe inspire them to go after things that are really about their idea. We know from self-determination theory, if we can give people a little bit of autonomy, if they show some competence and they find some relatedness at work, those three things really lead to intrinsic motivation. And that's what coaching's playing on is, how can I help tap into the intrinsic motivation of what's happening versus some sort of extrinsic marker of just meeting a goal that a, a boss happens to set? And you, just to let you guys know, we have about five or six more questions left, a couple in the chat um, and the rest in email. So again, if you are listening and there are some things you want to you wanna know, you want to find out more in leadership and coaching, uh, definitely jump on the questions and answers uh, and type it in. Um, our next question comes from email, and this is categorized uh, kind of more on the uh, on the being coached side. Uh, so this person says, how do I know if I'm being coached appropriately? Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I think what, what you're really looking for 
uh, are a couple of principles, and, and we've highlighted a few of these, but there, it is good to go back and review them. I think, number one, as Ray highlighted, I think, in his last answer, who owns the agenda? So that means uh, what we mean when we say that is who's really picking the topic for a coaching conversation. So if you and your leader are sitting down and your leader's like, what would you like to work on today? Then you largely own the agenda. If your leader is sitting down and saying, today, I want to focus on this area. It, it might be coaching. It might be advice. It might be feedback. Um, but it's at least a flag that should go up and say, okay, I'm not sure if this is a coaching conversation or not. Second, I think what you're looking for is, um, am, I, am I being asked truly open-ended questions that allow me to think and give me space to respond with my original thoughts and those thoughts drive the subsequent questions? Or am I getting a lot of sort of quidgestions or like very specific questions? And a quidgestion would be like, have you ever thought about trying this? Like that's not a coaching question. That's a suggestion with a question mark at the end. Um, or if, if someone says, you know, hey, in this particular moment, you tried this and it went this way. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, what you were thinking. And like, listen, I'm, there's space for that. And I'm not suggesting leaders shouldn't have that. But that's not what we would consider a co an appropriate coaching conversation. That's a feedback session. So if you're noticing that you're getting a lot of very specific, very directional questions uh, that may really be disguised as feedback or training, then you're not what we would consider being appropriately coached. It doesn't mean that's not an appropriate developmental technique, but we wouldn't consider that classic coaching. Um, so I think those are a couple of big things to look for. I think the last thing would be, um, when it comes time to make decisions about what's going to happen going forward, are they yours? Like, are you committing to an action or are you being told, hey, next time I'd really like you to try this? What do you say? Um, the first one is coaching. Like, what would you like to do versus here's what I want you to do, which, again, is advice or training. And again, context dependent, it might be appropriate, but it's not coaching. So those would be three things I would look for. Yeah. And the only ad I would down there is it, it should feel like work, right? It should feel like where it should not feel like a passive activity. And when we train young coaches, we often hear them come back after their first coaching meeting and they'll say something like, well, they really wanted my advice. Right. And then naturally that young coach's ego kicks in and it's like, I have all sorts of stories. Let me share those. Again, there's nothing inappropriate or wrong about that. It's fine to share stories, et cetera. But suddenly that's a passive activity for the coachee. They're just listening to a story and an experience. Right. For coaching, if you are being coached, you should feel like you're having to put thought and work into saying, well, what do I want to work on? And how have I thought about that? And maybe I don't have all the answers and I'm willing to kind of explore this in a very open and generative way, which goes back to what Eric said at the very beginning, you can't coach those that don't want to be coached, right? If somebody comes in and has their arms crossed and really doesn't want to participate as a, a client who's willing to learn, it's not going to be an effective technique for them. It's just not. And, and we've all had clients like that where we've had to have a different conversation um, where it says it doesn't feel like, you know, you, you're into this. And is this really the best way to spend your time in terms of a developmental experience? Our next question comes from the chat. Do you have any recommendations for helping to shift the mentality of leadership at an organization which doesn't prioritize coaching over providing specific directives? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's, mean, a, that's a loaded question. But sure, we can <laughs> we can start taking that one. Eric, it looks like you got some thoughts. 
Well, I mean, you really need to make sure your leadership listens to all four March episodes of the Kelly ROI <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I would start with that. Um, you know, what's what's really interesting, I mean, Ray and I do this. Listen, we, we do this, and, I, and I'm not putting in a plug for, for us per se, so I don't. Um, but it's really, it's fascinating because you cannot shift the mentality of leadership if they don't first understand that they're not coaching. Um, Ray and I do a lot of, of leadership development. We do corporate training and we go into organizations and we ask leaders all the time, like how much of your time do you spend coaching? Oh, like 70, 80%. And then we explain what coaching really is. Well, how much of your time do you spend coaching? And they're like, Hmm. I mean, I thought I was coaching a lot, but after you've described this CATSO model, I think I give advice like 70% of the time and I'm not really coaching very much. So I think if you, if you are part of senior leadership, um, it's a little easier to influence because you can bring it up at a, at a leadership retreat or some sort of staffing like, hey, y'all, I, I, I want us to think a little bit more about how much we give advice versus how much we coach. And in fact, there's a difference between the two. Can we have that conversation or can someone come in and, and educate us a little bit on that? If you're within an organization and you're trying to influence up, that can be a little harder to do. I'm not going to lie. Um, I had a client actually who had this sort of same question um, and she was like, what do I do? And I said, well, you ought to go in and ask your boss if you can hire a coach and see what their reaction is. Um, because I guess I'm guessing your boss is going to say, well, why would you need to do that? I coach you. And you say, no, you don't, you train me, you give me advice, but you don't coach me. Um, and there's a real moment. There's really like, Oh man, moment that comes along with that. Like I didn't realize there was a difference. So unless there, unless leadership can have that sort of aha moment about the difference between coaching and advising and that they're not doing coaching, then you really, I, I think that that's where the shift has to happen. They have to see the difference between those things one way or another. Yeah, a, um, one of my favorite questions to leaders, and, and this is a common refrain of leaders, is they'll complain and they'll say, I want people who bring me blank, not blank, right? And what they're, the fill in the blank is, I want people who bring me solutions, not answers. And then they'll complain about, you know, that people just come to that, or problems, I'm sorry, that wants people to bring me solutions, not problems. And they'll complain about people just come and ask for things and it's taking up too much of their time, et cetera. And then, you know, a good pushback is, well, what solution generating development are you doing, right? Are you actually challenging people to come up with their own solutions? Or are you just expecting that this is going to miraculously fall from the sky or you're going to hire these people, right? These, this is development. I work in leadership development. We work in leadership development because we can, we believe people can be developed. This isn't something that is they're incapable of, but they, they need to be developed in order to do this. And coaching allows you to bring that out. Um, I've worked with an organization and, and uh, you know, I'll keep it relatively confidential, but I've worked with an organization that said, hey, we're really about servant leadership, right? And you say, okay, well, let's really de deconstruct what servant leadership's all about. What was Robert Greenleaf writing about, who was a, a great, you know, person from the Hoosier State, right? Lots of history here. And if you read the components of servant leadership, they're, they're talking about taking a coaching approach, right? Expecting the best out of people, holding them accountable, not shying away from challenging conversations, but also developing them in a way that's going to serve them well, right? That is coaching in a nutshell. So the the I think there's plenty to push back. Um, what I would say is it depends on well, what are the goals of the organization. If we're just going to provide directives, then we're probably we shouldn't be surprised by the results that get produced from that management philosophy. 
So just to let everyone know, if there's any more questions, this is your chance. We got two questions left that have come in, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. But if you have questions, we will continue this on. As long as your questions come in, uh, just be sure to put them in the Q&A. But this is your two-question warning. So our next question, I give I give props to this person. This one came in through email, uh, and I do got to say I give them I give them props. But uh, they said I'm a director at a decent sized company. I've been in leadership for ten years now. Given my level of leadership in my company, do I even need a coach? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's a there's a very great video clip out there of Eric Schmidt, who was the former CEO of Google. Uh, and it's, you can look it up on YouTube. It's about a minute long and he, it says everybody needs a coach. Right. And Eric goes on this perspective, you know, this rant about, Hey, I'm, I'm the CEO of Google. I don't need a coach. And his board of directors is like, actually, dude, yeah, you do. Right. And here's, here's who we're going to, going to bring to the table. Um, and, and he talks about the benefits associated with it. I would say this, the, here's my opinion as somebody who works with leaders, the more senior you go, the more you need a coach. Why is that? It gets lonelier, the closer you get to the top. And what coaching is really about is helping you work through a sense-making process in a way that helps you see around corners that you can't otherwise see. And when you start rising in an organization, your jokes get funnier, right? People start listening to you more and you're really not that funny, nor are you all that insightful any more than you were the day before. You just sit somewhere in a hierarchy and where a coach can help you is being able to help you make sense without being afraid of challenging some of the thoughts that you have or some of the the ways in which you're making sense of certain situations, right? And I think without that kind of check or without that kind of development, that again, why do so many C-suite executives have coaches? It's because of this factor of helping them make sense of things that they may not be able to discuss with other people in the organization. They may not want to discuss with other people in the organization, or frankly, they just value and see that you know, having someone else to help me make sense of a situation or challenge me in making sense of a situation is going to be beneficial. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. The, one of the things that we talk a lot about leadership development is you have to have the ability to be self-observant as a leader. Um, and the way I think it was Ron Heifetz and others in a book talked a little bit about what that means is that you can picture yourself in a, at a dance where you're on the dance floor but you also need to be on the balcony at the same time. So you're immersed, you know, you immerse yourself in the business, but you actually also need to be able to, to see like what's happening. You have to be able to do both and you have to be able to do both. Well, as Ray says, especially as you go up in an organization, the value of hiring a coach is your coach. That time that you spend is on the balcony. It's watching, it's reflecting, it's talking about what happened, talking about what you experienced, what Ray calls the sense-making process. And, you know, in the absence of that, you're really trusting yourself to judge your own experiences in an unchecked fashion. Um, and I think that over time gets dangerous, right? That's when mistakes get made. That's when you get caught by your blind spots and caught by your biases and having a coach can really check some of those things question we just got from the chat is, can you coach yourself and how to decide when you need another person to coach you for a certain situation? Yeah, we're, we're big advocates of coaching yourself. Um, it's hard because you have to recognize that you can use a similar process to what a coach would use in developing, right? You, you ask yourself challenging questions. You, 
you work on a single issue at a time, you take a, a constructive developmental approach to say, I might learn and see things I don't otherwise learn. Um, the, the challenge is something that Eric talked about, the self-observation. You have to really build out your self-observation skills to do this well, because you've got to see your own patterns and values and beliefs early on in this process. So if you can observe yourself and how you show up, um, it's 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 very helpful, right? There's an old saying attributed to a lot of different people. We judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behaviors. So I have to get beyond the point where I see myself only based upon my intentions or my internal conversation to say, how do other people experience me and how can I observe that? And then I can start to say, great, now I can set, I can set a goal for myself. I can hold it lightly because the role of a goal is really to drive movement. As I start to drive movement, what does that movement start to inform me as I observe myself in action? action? What data and feedback can I gather? And then do I have some sort of sense that I'm making progress on this developmental challenge? Do I start to learn new things as I move along this development path, right? Am I experiencing or changing my own sense-making process where assumptions I held before might be challenged and I'm open to that assumption being challenged as difficult as it is to face? So there's a way that you can self-coach. We're big proponents of it. Um, and, and I, I think it's right for a lot of people. Um, we're still advocates of where possible, if you can work with an external coach, it's, it's a, it's an accelerator towards some of that development. Yeah. Great answer. The only thing I'll add is that I think the bar for collecting feedback is Mm -hmm. very high. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be your own, if you're going to attempt to self-coach and not really hire a coach, you better be actively collecting feedback from the people who are experiencing you because you, you don't have any other, any other way to evaluate it. Um, and, and you have to be willing to be self-honest enough about the feedback you're getting to not dismiss it and to, to be willing to say, okay, there's a pattern here I need to deal with. So that would be the only other ingredient I think is key. So we are at our last submitted question. If there's anyone else in the chat uh, that would like to submit their question, now is the time because this is our uh, last submitted question and it comes by email. Uh, This person asks, where can I go if I want to get more formal coaching training? Yeah, um, there are a lot of options. Um, I'm, I'm an advocate of being an active and avid reader. Um, although I will be the first to admit you can't get every answer in a book. Um, there are a couple that we tend to recommend. Uh, there's a woman by the name of Jenny Rogers. Um, she's wrote, written several versions of what we call the handbook of coaching. It actually may even have a, she's got a new version, may have an updated name, but if you look up Jenny Rogers handbook of coaching and buy the most recent version, you're going to get a good one. Um, that's a, that to me is like, like the Bible, you know, um, there are others as well, but I think, and I'll let Ray put a few out there if he wants. Um, I think actually hiring a coach, you know, is, is always a good one. I don't think you can be an effective coach until you've really experienced coaching. And so going through that, I think is important. Um, and then you, you know, obviously want to look into different levels of training. Um, you know, I will put in a plug that if you or your organization is interested in doing some coach training, you can follow up with the Kelly School of Business Executive Education Arm. Uh, we do have executive coaches available for hire and we do coach training. Um, it's not a, it's not 
certified through the International Coaching Federation. Uh, but it is, we do training on how to be a better leader by being a better coach. And that's something you can reach out to. But I'll be the first to admit, we're not the only organization that does that and others do that well. Um, and they, those can be anywhere from one day up to, you know, several weekends of coaching, depending on where you look. And, um, and there's some, some great organizations. And if you send us an email, we can, you know, give you a few recommendations back. Uh, if you're really willing to go all the way, you know, and become a, what we would consider a certified coach like Ray and I, um, there are organizations uh, like the Coach Training Institute, which I went through, or the Hudson Coach Training Institute, which is what Ray went through. Um, you can find a list of organizations through the International Coaching Federation, the ICF. They're like the standards body for coaching. And um, you'll see familiar names like the Center for Creative Leadership and not so familiar names that specialize in coach training um, with reviews and things like that. But if the ICF has certified them, then you can bet it's it's good, you know, because they take that they take that pretty seriously. So those would be some of the things that come to mind for me as I as I get started. Yeah, right. nothing really to add. I think I, I I I love what Eric said. I would start with reading. There's so many great books on there, from Jenny Rogers' book um, on coaching skills to um, the Coaching Habit, which is a really good beginners kind of book in the, in the the space of coaching and what coaching might look like. Um, Pam McLean wrote uh, her book. She's the CEO of the Hudson Institute. So there's 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 a ton out there. I will say, coaching can appear like the Wild West and you know, there, there are some things and, and some critiques, I think fair critiques of the industry of, you know, there's a proliferation of what works and what doesn't. And I would very much agree with what Eric said. If the, if the ICF has come in and, and put their stamp of approval on it, then that's kind of a, a mark of accreditation and quality that's worth looking into. Again, Ray Luther, Eric Johnson, they are the co-directors of the Kelly MBA Leadership Academy. Gentlemen, thank you so much for spending your time and offering your wisdom uh, to everyone here on our show. Well, we appreciate being here, Matt. You uh, you run a phenomenal show, and it's an honor to be a part of it. So, thank you. Yeah, Matt and Eric promised in a in a LinkedIn post this would be more fun than a ten forty. So, hopefully, we deliver that, and uh, we've we've moved on from from tax day or what was formerly known as the day of tax, uh, and is now sometime in the future. So. And again, everyone who has joined us, I just want to thank you so much that you find our content uh, value enough where you wanted to spend an hour uh, with us. And if you do have continuing questions, if this conversation has inspired you uh, and you want to share your story, or you just want to keep us posted on what to do uh, and what you are doing, send us an email to ROIPod. That's ROIPOD at IUPUI.edu. Again, ROIPod at ROIPOD at iupui.edu. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.